Hello to all you loyal listeners out there. This is Ben from the Searchers Podcast, and I am providing you a little bookkeeping announcement before the episode starts as usual. From now on, every other Wednesday, expect an episode from the Searchers. That's our releasing schedule as of now. If anything changes, you'll, you'll get another one of these announcements. Another thing to take into consideration is that this episode was recorded back in February, and a lot of the things that we say in relation to time will contradict with a lot of other things we've said on previously released episodes. That is only a function of our recording schedule and not our brains. Last but not least, I will give you a preview into the next episode that will come out two weeks from this episode's release date, or April 19th, 2023. On that episode, Chris and I will be reviewing the movie The Lover from 1992, starring Jane March and Tony Lung Kafai. No, not the Tony Lung that you're thinking of, the other Tony. Or Little Tony, as he's known in Hong Kong. So be on the lookout for that. If you want to have a head start, watch The Lover, and you'll be able to follow along right with us in that very interesting movie. And that's all I got. So without further ado, here is Hennenlader Hijinks. Enjoy. of the Searchers Podcast. We're here to make your job at picking which movies to watch when your precious time easier. I'm your host, Ben, and today joining me is my good friend, Chris. Say hi, say hi Chris. What's going on, everybody? Hello, hello. Yeah, and uh, what are we doing on this episode? Yeah, so we're doing a little something, something a little different for us, anyway. On this episode, we are going to review Frank Henenlotter's basket case from 1982 and then we're also going to review his second film brain damage from 1988 so this is a little different for us in that we're covering a double bill from the same director yeah well and i guess uh you wanted to review one or the other and i just said well why don't we do both because they're not that long and whatever it it, it kind of brave of you yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a fan of horror, so I uh, jumped in the deep end, uh, and the water was dyed black, and I had uh, <laughs> I had my, you know, whatever, blindfolded, or my hands were tied behind my back. It was uh, pretty yes. crazy for me, so. You just jumped off the plank, right yeah. into the shark-infested waters uh, of... Like, kind of like Ace Ventura. Oh, yeah, no, it's no big deal, guys. I'll just get this water. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly come out of the tank with a tattered shirt i'll, yeah. su- I'll survive yeah you survived so i did, I did. Ku- kudos to you so if our listeners don't know this by now ben is uh he is not a fan of horror yeah me and kevin is also i think on the same uh side of that argument not argument but this he's on that same he's on my side with that he does not not a fan either but chris is uh apparently more open to some disgusting I'm more stuff open or, to it. or like, you know, blood, yeah. bloody, scary, jump scares. Yeah, that's your thing, apparently. I'm I'm not I wouldn't consider myself a fan. I'm I'm just open to it. And I, I guess it doesn't bother me as much in certain ways. So yeah. you know, pick your poison. 
right? Yeah, I mean, I my my only thing I'll, I'll say it once, and this is why I am the way I am. Is just there's so much out there that I do want to see. It's like I don't want to spend my time watching something I don't want to see. So kind of nice having the the podcast uh, kind of force me into it this time. So force you into it, and it's a good reason. Yeah, and it's interesting. As anyone who's listening to to us talk about these movies, if it's any of our friends from Letterboxd, they could very well say that this is that these both of these movies are a little bit more on the popular end, as opposed to something that might not be needed to be found. And I think that's true. I think they're I mean it, they're cult films, so I mean they have their own following, and they definitely have fans of of both. Yeah, letterbox users are usually more in tune with that kind of stuff anyway, so they're going to know usually the ins and outs of this kind of stuff. Yes, exactly. So we might not be breaking any new ground for them, but that's any fine. of them might also enjoy listening listening to us talk about perhaps one or two of their favorite horror movies. Yeah. Right? I, I guess yeah. I guess we'll go in a chronological order and we'll just start with Basket Case. Yeah, let's yeah, we'll go right into basket case. I'll uh, I'll kick it off with the plot. Yep. And read off of the back of the Arrow Blu-ray. Dwayne Bradley is a pretty ordinary guy. His formerly conjoined twin, Belial, on the other hand, is a deformed, fleshy lump whom he carries around in a wicker basket. Arriving in the Big Apple and taking up a room at the seedy Hotel Broslin, the pair set about hunting down and butchering the surgeons responsible for their separation. But tensions flare up when Dwayne starts spending time with a pretty blonde secretary, and Belial's homicidal tendencies reach bloody new extremes. Filmed on a shoestring budget against the backdrop of 1980s New York, where the movie would become a staple of the infamous 42nd Street Grindhouse circuit, Basket Case has clawed its way from its humble origins to become one of the most celebrated cult movies of all time. There it is. I think... Uh, there it is. I think that I don't know why it's not a... celebrated, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, Fair enough. Yeah, I'll Fair be, enough. I'll be very critical. I mean, shortly, but I don't know. Right. I'll, I'll let you go, Chris. What do, what do you think of this movie? Uh, that's a pretty good. I'm, I, I mean, obviously, it's a good summary of the plot, but clearly uh, in these horror movies, usually when they tell you, hey, this is what's going to happen, it's, it's what happens, right? These, these murder, this murderous pair goes about their business trying to kill these people and uh, with, with, different, with, with uh, weird results, I think. Very straightforward is, I think, your point. And yes, this is directed by Frank Henenlotter, who also wrote the script. And I think that's the weakest point of the film. It's... It's a very creative idea. I like the originality of the idea, so I give it credit there. But I think the story is isn't isn't good across the board. the f- The first half of the film, I think, builds pretty well. We're introduced to the the first brother, who's in normal, quote unquote, normal human form. Kevin, played by Kevin Van. Hentenrick as Dwayne Bradley. We're immediately intrigued about what the monster is going to look like, even though we can see some sort of depiction on the poster art. Did you feel that you were intrigued to see what the monster was going to look like, act like, at least for what the special effects were going to be? Uh, <laughs> not really. I mean, 
how it happened was pretty, you know, I feel like that was pretty standard for the horror genre, but uh, they leave you in, you know, anticipating it for a while because it took like 20 or 30 minutes to get the first reveal, I think. So, I mean, the, the, Agreed. Yeah, the yeah. special effects, I, I think I, at first it was just the, like a kind of like a puppet, right? My Yes. Yeah. It alternated between a puppet and then you obviously have the stop motion scenes. Yeah, the stop the stop motion scenes were this movie was like a super low budget, I think like thirty thousand dollars or something. So for what they it was did less than that. Yeah, for what they did, it was pretty impressive, but not like Ray Harryhausen stop motion effect impressive. It's it's no Jason and the Argonauts stop motion, but uh Right. It's still right. it's still it was good. Uh, I mean, for what it was, um, but yeah, the <laughs> Belial was uh, definitely—he's definitely not a looker. Let's just say that. It's a fair point. So I think, I think that is, that is also what they want from the character. He's supposed to be repulsive, a an unwanted and unloved thing, which is sort of what the whole horror genre is about, right? It's about something or someone being isolated um isolated unloved loneliness anything that you can think of that's regarding any of the archetypes like frankenstein for example that is entirely about all of those things so the horror genre in a nutshell would be exactly that and i think Bel- belial fits that the brothers even in the, that same scenario duane because he is obligated, he feels obligated to take care of his brother and finding shelter and food for his brother. And that's really the whole gist of the film. The, so the first half, the first half, I think, kind of builds all right. We already mentioned that the, the way Hennenlauter has us anticipate the reveal of the monster, I think, is... I think is great. It's patient. And the use of puppetry when it's finally revealed is. I don't know if I would call it funny, but when the hand kind of comes out and touches the TV and then breaks the knob, that's creative. I like that. And then as the movie goes on, I think it's pretty clear that it doesn't know where it wants to go. So the story as my previous point, the story is is the weak part of the film for sure. Um, I don't think the acting really helps either. I think a lot of the actors, this is supposed to be campy, it's supposed to be schlocky. I still don't think that the acting is up for the challenge of being ironic no in any kind of way. Way not at all. <laughs> it's super. Right. I mean, it's worse than the room. It's it's so bad. I mean, the room is at least like ironically they're, they're, funny but this was just like people like it almost seemed and they weren't but it, it's almost like they were just like reading it off a piece of paper oh hi mark i did not hit her it's not true it's bullshit i did not hit her i did not oh hi mark uh lisa <laughs> yeah okay we don't, we don't need to make this a room <laughs> a room episode i i do no, i do think that that movie's funny but i yeah this is supposed to be i agree with all, everything you said but this is supposed to be like a horror comedy and i didn't laugh like any at all literally i was just like either bored or grossed out like that was those were the two kind of things and i mean the grossed out stuff really wasn't that much i think it wasn't too bad 
No. No, I think I yeah. think I think the one scene that's pretty fucked was the uh was the last kill, I think. Yes. Yes, yeah. I agree with you completely. Yeah, yes. I was like, what the hell is going on right now? Um <laughs> that was bizarre and weird. So that the leading lady get gets killed, right? So that's kind of an interesting thing about both this and brain damage. Because Hen and Lauder follows the same formula. And I agree with you that that was easily the most effed up part of the film. Because I, I was like, what the hell? So what the heck is going on here? Yeah, like the little blob thing is, I guess, supposedly, for lack of did, a better word, look- raping the girl, I guess. But it was... Is that what happens? I, be- I believe okay. that's what happens. But the thing is, like... Not to get like weird, but the dude doesn't have a penis, so I don't really know it. <laughs> like I don't know what he was doing besides just like sitting in a pool of blood, sitting on top a, of her. Yeah, it was really bizarre and not done well. But it was really I, I haven't seen Giallo, but I I kind of know what it is from just YouTube videos and people talking about it. But like before yeah. that all happened, that Giallo aspect was kind of there with like kind of his his perspective of like him fondling her and looking at her. It was really bizarre, but. Also, the okay. ang- the camera work doesn't work because this guy's supposed to be like two feet tall, and yet it was still like kind of at a down angle. It was weird, but fair critique. I'm not grossed out by like all the other kills and throughout the movie. I just think they weren't like there wasn't anything super special. It was just like the guy clawing people and choking them or slicing their throat or something, or one of the doctors he kills like he shoves their shoves their head in like a drawer of scalpels or something, which again, that's not what would happen, but like they wouldn't, they wouldn't all stick in, but whatever it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a horror comedy quote unquote, but I didn't laugh at any of it really. I mean, I think the most respectable kill was like the first one, which was like in the first five minutes, which was pretty decent, but I just, I mean, this guy's got, you know, he has hands and he's supposed to be able to like claw people and like, bite them and stuff but like his hands are just like normal hands with like long fingernails like it wouldn't do the damage that was done on screen it was really just <laughs> not, I don't know yeah it didn't do anything for me uh and I don't think I I've I've read that some people really like the aesthetic of like the dirty 42nd street kind of vibe with you know it's just like a dirty yeah. dirty, dirty alley kind of thing going dirty on. New York yeah New York is usually like a character in those movies and there was a ton of those that came out in the 70s and 80s i don't need to i don't need to go to new york too many more times in my life it doesn't do anything for me but um i guess if you like that kind of thing you'll you'll dig it because i guess that's kind of this hen and lotter's kind of lauded for doing that well i guess in his movie every movie that i know of he uses new york city as some sort of setting which i'm I'm assuming the guy's from there so fine right respectable choice that's all, you know, the setting doesn't bother me. The story was just kind of really poorly executed. And I don't know, it, it's, I don't want to get to brain damage yet since we're talking about Basket Case, but I think the same kind of plotting issues I have with this movie, I have with brain damage. Okay. At, at brain damage, is, I liked a little bit more, but yeah, Basket Case, I feel like almost, if you don't have the, like, rated r kind of gory i think you could have made this movie low budget not had the creature in there 
and made it almost even scarier because you don't know what's in the basket. But they kind of yeah, so almost almost like never reveal until like the absolute end, and then save all your budget for something really really good looking. Maybe that's more effective for me, but for other people, maybe they just like it the way it is. I yeah, I don't I don't have anything really positive to say about this movie except for the cinematography and how it was directed like with the camera angles, camera movements, you know, the, 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 the minimalism that's there. Yeah. That the minimalism that's me. there is good. Yeah. Yep, that's, yep, that's all I, good. But I, I really, I, I mean, if you have anything to specifically say about the plot, um, I'm here for it. But other than that, I don't have anything to really add. No, the few more notes I have is I, I did respect the acting of the actress who plays Casey who is played by Beverly Bonner. Is that the, the black lady? Yes. Yeah. She yes. was, she was in both movies. Actually, my, my brother yes. watched, my brother watched brain damage with me and I guess he was on his phone and he was like, Oh yeah, that girl right there is in the basket case. I was like, yeah, I know. I, I just watched that other movie. <laughs> like I, I, I get that. <laughs> I think she has, uh, she has some pretty good charisma about her, even if she, do, she's not, this was her first movie, as far as I know. She definitely fit into the sleazy New York setting <laughs> with her uh, character. She felt she felt like she was a part of the city. Yeah, exactly. Now, yeah, she felt real, at least real. Yes, exactly. And uh, I, th- so, I don't know if we I don't know if we mentioned in the plot or at all yet, but yeah, the the Dwayne and Belial are supposed to be Siamese twins, but and they get and they get they get separated at birth. But they don't like look anything alike. I mean, obviously, one's a monster, but very much deformed. I just don't like the monster idea where it's like that wouldn't work. You know, like if they w- if the doctors would have separated them at birth, like he would have died, right? Like he wouldn't have stayed alive. Like the small amount of body that this guy has, he doesn't have any. There's nowhere for organs to be in his body, so it's really kind yeah. of just a stretch. I did read some interesting. I didn't get this from the movie, but other people get it. Like some, somehow this movie's talking about unwantedness and, and maybe abortion. I, I don't, I didn't think it was that deep. And I think people have asked Henenlotter directly about that. And he kind of didn't take a stance. So I don't know if that's just people reading into the art or not, but there, there's a little bit of messaging in this movie about, you know, not treating people with, you, you know, dignity and respect. I, I, I I can kind of see that. Yeah, from what I've read on Hen and Lauder, he doesn't. You're right. He doesn't really take a stance. And the other thing I've heard him say is that he just wanted to make a creature feature, like a like a monster film, and that's basically where he leaves it. Uh, I do think you can maybe take away some deeper messaging if you follow what I said before about horror and what horror represents, which is about that lonely loneliness, the isolation the loss of love or uh, wanting to be loved. I think those things are good archetypes of the genre that mean something. And I think you, I think you have a, some sort of theme about the burden of family, which is kind of interesting because the brother the the brother who's not deformed is the one who's constantly taking care of his other brothers so you know maybe there's something there with that but again i didn't 
really read anything too deep on this, just like you, Ben. I basically took it for what it was. For what it was, which surface level, I think, you know, which, just this is what's happening. It's the plot, um, and that's it, yes. right? Like it's and and that's and that's that's as far as I know, Hen and Lauder's intent of the film. So people are going to read, especially horror movies. People are really going to read into them because usually a lot, which is fine, on. which is it's fine because that's what art's all about. Yeah, you read. I do that all the time. I put all my different readings into things, and sometimes I can verify it and see if other people agree. Um, but that's not always the case. Yeah. I, I have uh, a few other things written down specifically about this movie before we move on. Cause yeah, I think you like it a little bit more than me. The nonstop screaming like was so obnoxious. <laughs> like everybody okay, screams so, in this character, in this movie, every character screams. It's so, Oh my gosh. So I'm not sure if it's because of the type of movie it is. I, those were the only parts I found a little funny. I didn't laugh anywhere else until someone was screaming for so long that it just became excessive. And then at that point, it didn't annoy me. I actually kind of chuckled a little bit because I was like, okay, this is this is a little absurd. And the other thing is like the unexplained telepathy between the two brothers. Between the two brothers, yeah. That is such a convenient thing for the story. I mean, it's low budget, well, so I guess that's a way to like kind of that was kind of creative i gave i gave him credit for that because i was like okay now now you you don't have to worry about as a director you don't have to worry about making the monster talk you don't have to have a i mean you still had to have a voice actor for the noises i definitely think it's a, a budget thing and i wouldn't be surprised if the noises were from hen and himself because i i think the hand no, the hands were all him so the hands were him but uh kevin van hentenrick who played his the brother did the sound for Belial. Okay. Well, there you go. You kind of get a two for one. Exactly. So again, it's a way that the budget's affecting what and, we're seeing. And, and yeah, so apparently, you know, we don't have to go into the plot too much, but that whole, the whole telepathy thing kind of goes into that rape scene. And like the brothers, the normal brother is sleeping, normal quote unquote is sleeping. And Belial is like going to go, which I don't know how he got there. I don't remember, but like he gets out and, and goes there somehow without being seen. And it's probably far. I don't know if, how that works out, but Dwayne, the main character is sleeping and dreaming that he's like seeing what Belial is seeing in real life, what's happening. But at one point, like there's a scene where the, he, the guy's just like running naked in the streets. That was really bizarre to me. I don't know. what. Yes. All right, just Hen and Lauder's just showing dick right on the screen. I'm like, okay. Well, it reminded me of Will Ferrell's scene in Old School. Okay, I can so see that. Just like, oh, okay, we're here yeah. now. Cool, thanks. Just dude. out. Yep this is this is what we're doing, and he's 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 not in a good headspace. That's why, like, I just kind of went. It was the only other scene I could think of of a naked dude running in the middle of the road at night. Yeah, and uh, you know. Insert Will, Fel Will Ferrell scene here. But um, I don't know if you read up on that, but because it was cold out for this film, they had Kevin Van Hentenrick in a heated van. They would pull the van up on one corner. Then he would run out. They would make sure the street was cleared and make sure that there was nothing on the sidewalk too so like he wouldn't hurt his feet. 
And then he would run, they would film him running down one part of the sidewalk and then he would hop into another heated van and then they would take him to another block that was cleared. And then they would just repeat the process, switching him between two vans that were heated. That's pretty uh, interesting. No, I did not read that. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's what you got to do on low budget, I guess. Well, and I was fascinated by that because I was like, how are they filming? How are they filming this guy running naked in the street in New York city? So that kind of both impressed me and made me wonder how they did it. So it's like guerrilla film, guerrilla filming kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Stealing, stealing shots, which is done a lot, actually. Well, more in foreign films, but I guess you had to do what you had to do when you're only, when you only got like back then. I mean, I guess it would be like 50 to a hundred thousand now, but whatever their budget was, was not a lot. I read that the number was $16,000 and that approximately half of that money was Hennen Lauder's own life savings that he put to make the film. So that's, that was the numbers I came up and read. Okay. I don't know. If, I yeah, don't know I if that's don't, accurate. I don't know what, I mean, it's very low. <laughs> even, even considering, it's incredibly low, even considering yes. the low budget aspect. I mean, most low budget films, 50, 40, 50 years ago, were still like, you still had like 500 grand. <laughs> it's like, not less right. than a hundred. So it's, it's, uh, I, I will, I will say for the budget, I don't like the movie, but for the budget, it is impressive. That's, I'll, that's the one accolade I'll give it that, that they were able to get an 85, 90 minute movie out of, out of that much money. And stretch the story for as much as they did, because I, there isn't much with the story either. Yeah. You know, um, which leads me to just say that I, I did like the setup of the final scene in front of the hotel sign. I think that was pretty uniquely shot a, a little bit more creative than what we had seen previously in the movie. And I think that's just about where all the positives go for me. Um, I'm, I'm mostly in line with you that this isn't really great. I understand it has its fans and I can definitely commend it. I can commend Hen and Lauder on what he was trying to do with his vision and what you just said about working with such a tight budget and being restricted. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, once you know that the guy, this was in 82 and his next movie was brain damage. Right. Yes. Yes. So I, I, I think that's a good segue. Unless you have anything else to say, I think that's a good segue into brain damage. Right. No, yeah, exactly. We can go so, right into the next so movie. So for brain damage, this that movie must have done well enough that the guy six years the guy didn't do anything and he was I mean, I guess he was doing other things to make money, but he was able to get a slightly bigger budget for I think it was like around two million for brain damage six years later. So he did Correct. something. He he did something right, right? So That's right. Um yeah, I can read the brain damage. Yeah, why don't you uh Give the plot out. Yep. Meet Aylmer. He's your friendly neighborhood parasite with the ability to induce euphoric hallucinations in his hosts. But these LSD-like trips come with a hefty price tag. When young Brian comes under Aylmer's addictive spell, it's not long before he finds himself scouring the city streets in search of his parasite friend's preferred food source, human brains. Nice. Yeah. Brains. Yeah, this one was a lot grossed me out a lot more than uh, basket case <laughs> probably because of how they honed in on the blue spike 
being injected into the back of the neck. Well, no, that that was not a, that's not the bad. You no, know, just the sucking out the brains of uh, people. Oh, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I totally just uh, overlooked that part of it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I watched this one with my brother, and I will say, I will say, it is a fact that every horror movie gets better if you watch it with somebody else. It, it's just a fact. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad you at least had that. Yeah. With your brother. Yeah. Yeah. So he came over and brought uh long story short, brought my mom's dog and she's sitting in the middle of us and just probably is like these stupid humans. What are they watching? And this is ridiculous. But um, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was a fun watch with, with him. Okay, good. And, and I'm glad to hear that. And your brother, I, he's, he's a lot like you though, with your taste, right? He's, he's no, not I mean, all a horror guy. I, no, he's definitely watches more than me, but Oh, okay. I mean, relatively. He's still not like a horror fan, I wouldn't say. But no, he's I mean, I'm the oldest brother of four, and I definitely have in- influenced two out of the three pretty well with my taste, but they still have vastly different like we're, we have a if there was a Venn diagram, there'd be a lot of overlap, but there's also a lot of, you know, individual differences that are yeah. So Yeah. Um but yeah, this was much more enjoyable to watch with another person and have someone to like kind of banter with during the viewing. So I'll give it that. Um, I don't have, I literally wrote down no notes cause I watched this at like finished at like 1130 the other night. Um, and just was so tired and didn't write anything down, but yeah, this was, um, it was an upgrade for you. It was an upgrade, but still I didn't like it by basically the first, I thought the first 20 minutes were like pretty good. And like up to the first, the, the, um, the night watchman kill, I think all that was pretty, pretty well done. It wasn't like ridiculous. Okay. And then I thought, okay. I thought the story just started getting dumb. Like the, the decisions characters were making like kind of ruined, kind of took me out of the story a little bit. Cause it's like, there's no way if this was happening to you, you'd make that decision at this point in time. But Yeah. Uh, I, I want to hear your opinion, Chris, because I I don't have much to sure. say. I I do, I do want to bring up one scene, uh, specifically, or maybe maybe two or three scenes actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, but I'll let you uh talk about yeah brain damage. Well, so needless to say, this is also directed and written by Frank Henenlotter, as we had mentioned earlier, produced by Edgar Levins, Andre Blay, and Al Eicher, and the production company for this one changed. It was something different for Basket Case, and this time it was Palisades Partners, which I think was Hen and Lauder was involved with in some way. Yeah, the first one, Basket Case, was Basket Case Productions. So it, I'm, there I'm, you su- go. I'm sure that was just a company, an LLC he put together right before filming. Right. And uh, so yeah, so as far as brain damage goes, intro scene I thought was very interesting because it throws you right into a very delirious moment between an elderly couple. It's got some really nice tone to it. It's appropriately jarring. You have really no idea what's going on other than that. You see the, the husband hands the wife something in a bag, and then you find out that it's a small pile of brains. Yes. Right. They they looked real. And they looked real. They looked, they they, they were, it honestly could have been, they were supposed to be like, so I guess these, these two old people were kind of keeping the parasite Al- Almer Almer for himself, which is spelled A Y L M E R, I think, or yeah, correct, correct. So it, um, 
Yeah, it did it, the way they were pronouncing it. I'm not sure if there were, it was their accents or not, but I thought it was Elmer for like a, a bit until somebody said it differently, and I'm like, oh, that they're going for like an old kind of like you know two or three thousand year old name. Okay, I, I get this now. It was kind of like old timey, yeah. I guess. But yeah, they so, explain it that way. Yeah, so these two old people are kind of just keeping this parasite hostage for the euphoric drugs that he he gives them, injects them with, and uh, they were feeding him animal brains, which which were not powerful enough for him. Yeah, I I didn't really get the whole. I guess that makes him less powerful, but at the same time. So you're saying he couldn't just like when these people are sleeping, go and kill them. I, I was kind of like, what's going on here? I didn't think of that right right when I was watching it. I, it was like later when they were explaining the story halfway through. I'm like, so why didn't he just kill you and get away before? I, I like he kind of is. I don't I don't even remember what they kept him in because the, they did. the beginning the, scene happened. So, yeah, Brian, the main character. um, Right. Is it Brian? Yeah, Brian. Played, Played by, by Rick Hurst. Yeah, so he he's just walking around. Once once Aylmer gets attached to him, he's just kind of like... I thought from like the first 20 minutes, I'm like, so this parasite's like actually in his body and just like kind of jumps out when it wants to, but that's not the case. He has like little suckers on his belly where he just like sticks to you, kind of like a caterpillar, I think, right? And, and uh, like a caterpillar or maybe not exactly like a leech, but... That's kind another parasite. All right, yeah, kind of like a leech, but not sucking the blood. Really, it's just kind of just like to stay attached. But yeah, they didn't really give it any clear background on what he was doing with the old people before he went to Brian. So it was kind of a there was a little bit of a disconnect there for me. Um, but I think the whole purpose is that it's what you had briefly mentioned about them essentially finding a high from the hallucinations that Elmer provides them. It's supposed to be so euphoric that they can't live without it. And that ends up affecting Brian, who who's just some Joe Schmo living in the next apartment over. And Elmer finds his way into his room and then completely uh, alters his way of life as yeah. he knows it. Yeah. And so, yeah, in the, in the first scene, you see the old people looking for him all over the house because he's they thought he was taking a bath because the, the parasite likes water. Um, right. Right. And he really wasn't. He kind of got, I think he got out in a crack in the window, but then they, you see them like just scouring the house, ripping things apart, looking for him. And then very desperate. Yeah. And then, then you kind of see them foaming at the mouth. Like you, I assume they were dead. I did too, but they were, it, they were clearly going through withdrawal. Yeah. Which, Which again, I don't want to get it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to get too, caught up in the in the technicalities of the film because it's it's an 80s horror comedy movie it's not supposed to be like super scientific so i understand that but I, there's just a couple of things where it's like why did you write it that way i don't know i, I'm, I don't have any specific spe- specific items written down i just kind of remember like questioning halfway through like why is brian doing this he's acting like you're you're doing dumb decisions and maybe it's because you're high on the drug i don't know but yeah that's well, that's how i took it i took it that he was losing his agency the more that he was affected and the longer he was on well i'm saying on the longer that elmer kept affecting him i i it was making brian devolve 
I thought that was kind of clear and obvious. But maybe that's not so much the case if you didn't really pick up on that. Um, Again, as we mentioned with Basket Case, there is some deeper messaging that you can maybe take away. Many folks on brain damage claim that it is an anti-drug messaging where Elmer is supposed to be um, a symbol or a metaphor for whatever kind of drug that you can get hooked on. And then you, your whole life gets deconstructed and you can't control your life anymore. He starts just actually destroying your connection with the human relationships that you have in real life. So it's kind of like a metaphor for that, which yeah. So this guy, Brian just, you know, I guess his window is open and he was the unlucky victim of, uh, the parasite and it gets on him and gives him his first high. And it's this weird experience where, you know, he thinks he's in water and it's very, how, how it was shot in the first scene and the second scene in the, at the uh, junkyard, I thought was really pretty cool. I was like, all right. I really like, yes. I was, I really liked it too. I was like, I'm impressed. Like I, I, obviously this guy's, you know, this director's grown a lot because this is much better than the previous movie. And then, things kept happening and I just kept going like, really? Uh, it was a good thing going. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was ironically funny a couple times. I did get a couple laughs out of it. Yeah, definitely a little bit more funny. I, I do want to give props to my favorite aspect of the film, which is John Zacherly as Elmer doing the voice acting. I loved his voice. I, I really, really liked his voice. I, I don't know that what, guy. Is he? Do you know if he's famous for other voice acting or acting in general? Or no, I don't. I know nothing I about. D- him. Well, I was just wondering. Okay, I believe he is a icon of some sort from the fifties. Okay. Um, but again, I didn't do my research, so anyone listening, you can look up John Zacherly and uh, see for yourself. I. I it was my favorite part of the whole film. I think the voice acting of Almer was a really inspired casting choice because of the way that his voice is. It sort of sounds very soothing. It has a little bit of a sardonic tone, undertone to it. Um all around I thought it was pretty I thought that was pretty great. He was very more very much so more than adequate. For me, like I was like, all right, I, I, I buy that. I buy that. There's uh, something. I, yeah, I did there was lo- something about his voice. I, I just I just looked him up. He lived until 2016. He was 98 years old, which is very impressive. And he okay. was famous for doing in the 50s, doing radio horror shows. Uh, specifically. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I bet you uh, specifically Shock Theater and Zachary at large, uh, 57 to the 60. Um, so, yeah. Actually, probably when when Henenlotter got him, it was probably a huge deal. Huge deal, and he probably influenced Henenlotter because Henenlotter was born in 1950, and he he more than likely listened that's, to this guy yeah, on the radio. I, I was going to say that's what he was listening to as a kid. So that's kind of cool. I like I really like that whole aspect of how he utilized him because he's paying homage to everything that inspired him to another aspect of the horror genre and he is effective as Almer. Yeah, I mean I agree. I'll 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 concede that. 
I, uh, yeah, I was kind of just halfway through, like once Brian starts going, you know, figuring out that, Hey, this guy's kind of fucking up my life, fucking up my relationship with my girlfriend, uh, my brother. Uh, yeah, we don't know what the guy does for work, but apparently the dude doesn't work and somehow has an apartment in New York city. But regardless, and again, you get the very trashy looking city. I mean, everywhere they go is just dirty, disgusting, old, you know, you just yes. kind of don't want to be there. <laughs> Looks unappealing. Very. I mean, that bathroom scene where the guy, where he kills that one yeah. guy taking a shit, yes. that bathroom was like, actually Gross. like, oh, I mean, I, was, I would, I wouldn't walk in that. And like that guy, yeah. that one guy was like taking a shower. Like what? <laughs> yes. Which it seemed like a co-ed kind of like shared bathroom for the apartment, which is bizarre. I, I guess that used to be a thing, but definitely not anymore. Not no more. No, no communal showers for me, bub. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, uh, that, <laughs> my brother and I, like I said, my brother and I were watching this. And that one scene where um, Brian's going to the the bar or the nightclub hell and uh, meets that one girl. <laughs> and then proceeds to take, you know, she takes him outside. Lashio. Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of that, uh, and and she gets her brain sucked out. <laughs> My brother, like before she before that scene happened, he's like, yeah, oh yeah, she's gonna be like. It feels like you got a real monster in there. That <laughs> <laughs> it like right, right on cue. Like, how'd you know that? Like. I guess that, I that was gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah, like it was just so cliche, but it it worked. Uh, it was funny, and then the fucking uh, the scene was gross. But yeah, uh, after she gets it was her... very a very inspired scene for sure. I'm not a fan of it. I mean, obviously that actress. I feel bad for her having to do that because yeah, uh, we won't go into detail. But yeah. It was uh, not my favorite scene, but an effective one at that. So, I agree. But yeah, like the yeah the bathroom scene, the bathroom kill okay. was so ridiculous. Like just how much blood was coming off that guy. I'm like, what? Like this is just crazy. But it was just for effect, obviously. But yeah, that shit just grosses me grosses yeah. me out. Yes, the genre relishes in the fact. Uh for the for the blood effects right for the gore but like for me like if that guy if you have this parasite and what he does is open his like he looks like a i mean i guess a leech is a good way to describe him he looks like a leech and then he opens up his mouth and has all these like when he opens his mouth things yeah he has like a lot of teeth like i don't think you would actually spurt that much because if he would suck onto you it would all be going right you know he right. sort of looks like um like an angler fish when he opens up his mouth yeah, and I was one my, of those my bro- anglerfish. Yeah, yeah, my my brother just kept saying like, "Why do they keep showing? Like they keep using this exact. They recycle this every single time. The guy's gonna like to give it to give his host the drug. He just like open his mouth and then like a little needle comes out. Where you like obviously, I think it's supposed to be like heroin or something. But again, a metaphor for drugs, right? Yeah, so- it's a needle and it goes right to your brain, and you then you just get you know the host gets high as shit and he just gets to go use you to go suck people's brains out. So I, I think this is interesting and we, d- we don't have to talk about this for a long time or if even it's a, I don't know if it's a good point to bring up, but because you mentioned that there are, could be a deeper read on the anti-drug thing, it's 
interesting how we've we've covered one film previously about drugs and how it could make it look appealing or unappealing, which is Rush, right? Totally different film. It's not horror, but it focuses on drugs. Um, and we talked in that episode about how how their characters are incredibly sexy, and maybe it sort of made the drugs look sexy, but there was a good half of that movie at least where we could see there was a lot of pain being brought to the characters. So I just wanted to ask you if you had that thought process at all in the back of your head with the, with the drugs. And if you think, if you think this movie makes it look, if it's a, if it's a proper metaphor for that, if you think this movie makes it look appealing or unappealing. I think Hennen Lauder has been, b- you know, bombarded with this question after this movie was made. And I'm pretty sure he denied it as being about that, which okay. But I don't think there's any other really read for this movie besides just like insert vice as the parasite. You can say drugs. You can say anything, right? Gambling. It it, it can be. Yeah. I I was thinking porn. I was going with porn because interesting. The porn was like, if it was porn, it, like clearly, like his girlfriend, he's disassociated with her. Uh, she goes and like gets with his brother, who they live. His brother lives with him, and she goes and cheats on him with her his brother when he's with at home. His brother, yeah. While he's like in his room, his room, the uh, parasite makes the host get, lock up their room. They want a lot of privacy, and then it just destroys your all your it res, it destroys all your relationship with women, which not all of the victims in this movie are women, but the the main victim is the girlfriend, which again, like you said, for basket case, the main, the, the female lead dies. And in this one, it, that scene was fucking really effective. Uh, it was, it, it, awful. I agree. I was like, I was just cringing, man. I, I hated that. I was like, it's a, yeah, she I doesn't terrible know, for her. Yeah. She didn't know what, terrible. She didn't know what was wrong with him the entire time. And then they're on the subway. And yeah, they, they yeah. make out quote unquote and, ugh. and she gets it. Yeah. It's, it's fucked up. <laughs> I don't know if it was right before that. I think it's right before that happens. My second favorite part of the entire movie <laughs> is when he's clearly high and hallucinating and she's trying to talk to him on the, about what's going on. She, you know, she's trying to apologize cause she cheated and she's trying to say that, you know, take me back. I actually love you. You know, I cheated on you because I wanted attention. So... I wanted your attention, basically. Yeah. So she's trying to give him a, a whole speech, and he's high. He's high AF, right? And yeah. All of a sudden, across the subway, we see the brothers from Basket Case. <laughs> yeah. Pop up, and I, I'm gonna admit, I got really excited. I kind of like had a little fist pump. I didn't, as as you and I just discussed. We weren't huge fans of Basket Case. But I really think that's a neat idea that Hennen Lauder, he's obviously just trying to make a fun little cameo, but I think now it's a universe, it, but, but it's a universe. And I think, I think it's really cool. If people are putting these deeper messages attached to these monsters, it's a really neat idea about having these obvious monsters represent real world problems and how we carry them around. So even if Henan Lauder claims to not have any sort of messaging there, I, I really think that's kind of profound and brilliant. Even if it's not executed the way that 
you and I might find better, if that makes sense. Oh, no, I I definitely agree. I it's not the the genre is not for me, but I can see why people do like it. Um, yeah, I, I, Chris, I, I'm I'm at a loss for words, man. I just I don't have much good things to say, and I, I think your takes on it are you know, you obviously like this stuff a, a, more than me. I'm not. I mean, again, I don't know your rating for these two yet. You might you may know mine. I'm not sure, but uh, no, I don't think I know your ratings. Um, okay. Damn guys, think- Chris. Does, Chris doesn't look at my letterbox. <laughs> oh, oh! If you already have them up, don't, oh, don't, snap. Don't, no, don't look. Don't look. Um, no, I won't. I won't. I, I will say that I think we're going to be pretty close on Basket Case. Okay. I honestly don't know where you're exactly going to land on Brain Damage. I know that you thought it was better, um, but will, still not will, hot on it. Yeah, I will. Uh, do we want to rate now, or do we want to? We have. Well, stuff. yeah. Why don't we? Yeah, why don't I I think that's all I had to say. Okay. So yeah, for basket case, definitely I would say this is one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. It was not a womp fan. Womp. Yeah, I mean, sorry. Um so on Letterboxd, I already rated it as a one out of five, but actually that doesn't represent the my actual score. I'm gonna write it at 1.5 out of 10. So round that up to a two out of t- you know round that up to a two out of 10 on Letterbox. So it'll be a one star. Okay. Um. Yeah. Not the worst movie I've ever seen in my life, but definitely one I will never be watching again. <laughs> it is what it is. You 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 asked me to watch it, and I did, and uh, that's where I'm at. Well, interestingly enough, I actually match you on Basket Case. Um, really? I, I probably sound more positive because that's just my personality. I'm a positive person. Stop um, being so positive. I do, <laughs> do want to emphasize again that I, I really like Henning Lauder's creative creativity. I think the minimalism is good where he has utilized it, but there, he's got too many problems going against him. It's not enough of a budget. Um, not enough experience, right? And the acting doesn't do him any favors. So yeah. I agree with you. I'm giving this a one out of five. Basket Case is a one out of five or a two out of ten. Why Why the hell did that movie inspire two sequels? I don't know. That's just wild to me. Well, here's the thing. If, if Henry Lauder really did get that much better, which... I think he did. And if he was allowed a bigger budget, I think he may have gone back to the drawing board and recreated a more vast background for his two characters. And maybe two and three are actually better than the first one. You know, one of those rare cases. I'll never know. (laughs) You'll never know. But um, I I actually did go on Tubi and scan through number two just a little bit. And it was, I was uninterested because it was more like, there's a house uh, run by an old nice lady who takes care of basket cases. So there's a bunch of freaks and weirdos in this house. Um, like just, okay. def- just deformed people. And I mean, yeah, it was really like, and they, the way the makeup and costumes are like really bizarre. I mean, so really you, out there. Yeah. You can just go probably Google it and get an idea of what I mean, but 
Yeah, not a fan. Okay. So, okay. yeah, I'll, I'll rate brain damage. I was going to go lower. Well, I had it at a certain rating, and then my brother and I were talking, and he's like, you really think it's that good? And then I looked at the rating and then looked at the last few things around that and was like, okay, yeah, I need to, I need to take it down a notch a little bit. But, okay. um, yeah, it's hard for me. So like, the old way that you and I watched and reviewed, I gave that a 3 out of 10. Yes. And I didn't, like, hate that movie. It's just not good. It's not a good Western. This one, I really didn't like a lot about it. So it's like, should I rate this higher? I'm not a horror guy, so I don't have much to... I mean, I've seen, like, 20 or 30 horror movies in my life, and none of them have left a lasting impression or... or, Oh, I want to, like, watch that again. Like, anything M. Night Night Shyamalan, I I don't really count as horror. It's more thriller. So that, okay. I, I won't even say that. I like some of those, but yeah. Uh, all right. I'll just rate it. I'll tell you a 3.5 out of 10. So I'll put it at slightly better than the old way. So just, are you rating it at a two out of five stars? I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to round up to a two out of, uh, I have to round it up. It's not rounded up yet, but it will be. It's, it's 3.5 out of 10 for me. Uh, it's, it's got its moments. It did make me laugh. It was fun to watch with another person. And like watching okay. these by yourself, I just don't think is. I think it's almost required to watch a horror comedy as it's prescribed by fans. I would watch. I would definitely watch it with other people, and it's going to be a better experience just all around. But yeah, what do you think? So I would. I would have pinned. I was going to pin you at a two and a half out of five. I four or five out of ten. That's where my guess was. So I wasn't. I wasn't far off. I am going to rate brain damage a three out of five or a six out of 10. Okay. Um, I, I think it's above average. And I think that um, there's a lot, there's a, there's a very obvious um, uh, improvement by a hen and lauder. We agree. We agree there. Huge improvements across the board. Special effects are way better. You can tell because he has a higher budget. Not that budget is everything, but sometimes it shows. And a lot of credit to John Zacherly as Elmer's voice, which is again my favorite part of the the whole the movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. All right, so yeah, we I think people can do math and and no basket case is a a two out of ten average. Well, well, a little bit less than a two if you take my decimal, but we'll just say two. And a brain damage is a four point seven five rounded up to it's like a five out of. A five out of ten. So I mean, I again, a, a respectable increase, like you said. He definitely improved his his uh, filmmaking skills in six years. I don't know what he was doing in those six years because he didn't make another movie. Maybe he was making documentaries or shorts or I don't know what he was doing. But it was better. Maybe maybe he just needed the bigger budget. I think that proves to be the truth because I will tell you the reason I chose these movies. Yeah, yeah. Before you do that. I know, okay. I know, I know the reason. But before you do that, I do want to say, like when you see these movies on something like IMDb or Letterboxd, when I see a rating of like three point five out of five for something, and then I just like absolutely hate it. I just isn't. Do you think there's some kind of like just fan bias where like someone looks at the, someone like me looks at that movie and just says, "I'm never gonna watch that," and they just don't, so they don't rate it. So that do you think these have like biases? Yes, absolutely, because you're you're a prime example, good sir. I think if you have 
people that know what their taste is and they know that they're going to avoid. See, horror, horror is something that I think is actually quite divisive when you break it down because you have you have the most sincere and devout fans for horror than I think any other genre there is. And at the same time, you have people who avoid it like the plague. Right? Yeah. I think that's I I think that's the way to put it. Yeah, I just don't I don't get the whole like I'm gonna go watch a demonic movie about something in a place that's tormenting people and it's you know jump scares and just all this creepy shit. Like I don't get the I, I get the appeal to this kind of movie because it's supposed to be like the Henelotter films are supposed to be kind of almost humorous or or humorous or almost there, depending on the person watching. And they're not like super serious, like they're kind of funny uh, horror, right? Like they're not. Yeah, exactly. And I think they're supposed to be I really think they're supposed to be truly mindless. In that entertain in that entertaining kind of way. And Henelotter with both of these movies has just said it straight up, like, I just want to make a monster movie. So it, he's he's a very sincere filmmaker in that regard, where he knows he knows what has inspired him and he knows where his intentions are. And I don't think he's... I truly believe that he's not really influenced much with deeper meaning outside of what he wants to do with his creatures and his special effects. I think that's I think that's fair to say. Yeah. So just to give you background, have you seen The Lost Boys, Chris? I have, but it's been quite some years. So, like, do you consider that a horror movie? I think when I saw it, I would have considered it. It it would be like a genre blend of like. I mean, it's like coming of age romance horror kind of. Exactly. So that to me, I like that movie like that. That to me is a 10 out of 10. I love that movie. Oh, but okay. It's like completely like not scary, really. I mean, it's slight- well, very different. Yeah, it's, it's slightly scary. A few, you know, a few scenes, or you know, there's a little bit of jump scares. But I mean, I've seen the movie freaking twenty times. I've been watching it since I was twelve, so <laughs> I don't. I'm not scared by it anymore. I just I love the whole vibe, and it's just again, it's not about being scared. It's just I guess being familiar with what you like, like you said is yeah after a certain point your tastes are kind of locked in like i'm not going to be a a 30 year old man really broaching too many i'm again the point of this podcast is to try new things and i am i'm always open to trying new things but rarely yes. do, do i think i'm going to be like super impressed by something that's just way out of left field that i was you know never on my radar right just with yeah the, and maybe 20 years ago 30 years ago when the internet didn't exist that would happen but now that i just kind of like and being told by a bunch of different sources, like you'll you'll like this, you'll like that. I kind of already right. know what I like, right? Yeah. Yes. And I, that's where I maybe differ from you and Kevin a little bit, because I'm slightly more open to these things. Are you saying I'm closed-minded, sir? <laughs> no, you just you have your taste. Yeah, and that's and that's that. I mean, I have my taste, but what's can you? I don't know. All right, quit it with the positive Chris bullshit. What is like something that just pisses you off that you, that you watch and you're like, this is absolutely atrocious and it makes me mad. It offends me. What is that? Okay, for you? well, uh, you know what? There were two movies that 
um, I was reminded of on this little hand and water uh, venture that I absolutely hate. One is street trash. It's called street trash and it's also film trash. (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, is it a horror movie? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's about so Ray Ben, get get this. So, so it's, I it's agree, about I, I agree with you. It's trash. So <laughs> hold on, no, hold on. You might actually find this a little entertaining. Okay. Um because I, I did laugh at the movie maybe once or twice because it's so absurd. Um but the movie's about uh homeless people stumbling over this incredibly fermented old liquor that okay. once imbibed it just rots your body out from the inside (laughs) okay so for the liquor gets passed along to all these people and they drink it because they're homeless or they're alcoholics or you know they're just they're just degenerates they're drinking the squish bubs (laughs) yes and the special effects it's a mean liquor (laughs) (laughs) exactly um Leahy might be the only person who can handle it but um r.i.p R.I.P. to our boy. That's that's the whole gist of the movie for, you know, more or less. So I hated that. There was another movie that Almer reminded me of a little bit and that in, the, in his creature design. And that was Rock and Roll Nightmare, which I believe was an Australian film. And it's about a rock band that goes into a I I don't want to call it a haunted house flick, but they go somewhere out in the country. And then this creature is basically killing them off one by one. And the creature is absolutely not terrifying whatsoever. So the special effects were lacking there. So I would say those are two movies that I was reminded of via Henenlotter, but Henenlotter did better in both of his films than what I saw in in the previous two that I mentioned. Is there anything that's the, not not a horror movie that comes to mind r- real quick that's just like I fucking hate that too. I don't I don't know. Well, <laughs> I'm going to say these and I'm <laughs> this is these are fiery hot takes. All right. You, you want me, me to off, you want Matt. me to say them? Of course. Of course. <laughs> I watched Goodfellas uh. and I absolutely hate that movie. I I watched it and I was like I I just wasted two and a half three hours of my life and I do not understand what people find appealing about this movie. I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's it's obviously a classic by held in that regard by a lot of people. I I do a like lot of it. people. I do like it. I mean it's not my favorite movie of all time, like a lot of people say, but. I can see. I mean, I don't know the, the circumstances, but we don't have to go into too many details. That's that's fine. Is there? Is there? You said there is. Was there two? Uh there was another one, but am I gonna? Rem- eh, don't worry. I about had it. it. I had it, but I think it left my head. If it comes back before the end of the episode, you can bring it up. So okay, we watched these two movies. Why did we watch these two movies, Chris? I picked the Hen and Lauder films. I actually gave Ben a choice, and then he ended up picking both. So a. Kudos to you, Ben, for being ambitious and B, for also being a little courageous in watching films that you knew you weren't really going to like. Thank you. Thank you. Chose uh, these. No, no problem. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not closed minded. Just only sometimes. (laughs) Only a little bit. I chose these movies because 
a week ago from today, I bought a ticket to go see a double feature of Frankenhooker by Hen and Lauder and um, another film that wasn't Hen and Lauder, but is called My Bloody Valentine. So I was inspired to preview some Hen and Lauder by recommending us watch these, Ben. And I wanted to see what I was going to be in for. Get a little taste before actually seeing Frankenhooker. Quick minute on Frankenhooker. It is absolutely Hen and Lauder's best film of the three. And I dropped a review on it today. And I gave it the full five stars. And I think this actually goes to what you were saying, Ben, about having people watch these types of movies with you. Because the experience was, was unreal. People were, people were laughing. I mean, the movie's actually incredibly funny. It was nothing like the other two. Basket Case. It was not. It was nothing like Basket Case and Brain Damage in the way that it was funny. It was absolutely off the rails in all the right ways. And I think what helps Henenlotter, what gives him a little bit of a leg up with Frankenhooker, is because it's based on classic material a.k.a. Frankenstein. So when you have something and you're sort of readapting it for a modern audience, I think that kind of gives you a boost up with a lot of your themes. Even though Henenlotter has probably even said for Frankenhooker that he's not trying to capture any sort of thematic deep messages for any of his films, but that certainly helps him with this movie. So he already has a pretty good theme, theme work going on with Frankenhooker. And I also think it's the best acting out of the three movies that I watched by far. I think the actress who plays Frankenhooker, Patty Mullen, is <laughs> she is incredible. And the gentleman who plays the doctor, well, the um, he's well, I guess he is a doctor. He's a medical student who's flunked out of all the medical schools, played by James Lorenz, is also very, very good. So. If I'm able to recommend another horror film to you, Ben, or if I'll you ever, watch it, <laughs> if you if you ever feel up to it again, I do think you need to give Hen and Lauder one more shot with Frankenhooker. And how, I, uh, I, how bloody is it? It's actually the least gory of the three. Yeah. See, anything Frankenstein usually that way. I, I do. I do like the Frankenstein stuff. So I'll watch it. Yeah. Maybe I'll save it yeah. for. Uh, October. Halloween. Yeah, I'll say it for October. Yeah, I think I think you should because um it's <laughs> it's really funny. I I don't know what else I can say about it. I think the two the two main performances are great. Um the guy that we talked about from Brain Damage, John Zachary has a little cameo in this movie. Um same with Beverly Bonner, the woman who played Casey in Basket Case. She also had a small role in Brain Damage that we didn't mention. Yeah. Um but she's, well, a, she's I think again I, I she's, think I did. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so my, my brother was that that was when my brother noticed her and said, Oh, she's in the other one. Oh, like, that's right. You but, did mention uh, that. So again, she's a Hen and Lauder regular. Yeah. Yeah. So what, that's what, why I picked, the, what cinema, picked these movies. What cinema did you watch it in, if you don't mind sharing? No, not at all. So there's a local single screen theater near me. It's in Seymour, Connecticut, and it's called the Strand Theater. And it's been around since the 1940s which is really neat. And, um, it was, uh, it was a cool experience. I, my five-star rating, like I don't give out five stars very often, 
my five star rating for this movie is most likely aided by the experience, but I don't I don't even care because I had such a great time. And this is like Frankenhooker was exactly what I was looking for when I was seeing the poster art and the previews for Hen and Lauder's other movies. This this basically met all my expectations and did the things that I wanted his other two movies to do. Um so that's that's where I'm at. I think you give it one more shot, Ben. I think you need to watch Frankenhooker in October. And um, that's my little five-minute spiel I'm, uh, on uh, I'm looking wh- at, why I'm, we picked. I'm looking at the pictures of the Strand in Seymour, Connecticut, and it looks right up my alley. I wish I could watch a movie there. It was my first time doing it, and I've I've known about it for years. I how, just I never. How close is that? Was it like a, less than a thirty-minute drive? Yeah, it was 28, 30 minutes. That's not that's nice. Per- I mean, perfect. yeah, wouldn't go there. I wouldn't go to a, a cinema thirty minutes away all the time. But they only do so. This theater only does. Um, they do double bills only. Um, my my ticket was thirteen bucks, and I watched two movies, and it was awesome. Like I wasn't expecting to love either of the movies that I watched, because again, like you, I'm not like a horror guy. I'm open to it, but. It was a, it was just two great experiences and they were two very different movies. Both of them were horror adjacent, but one of them was a straight up comedy and less like a horror movie. And the other one was your straight 80s slasher that was filmed really well. It surprised me. Okay. Yeah, I'll watch uh I'm not watching my bloody my bloody Valentine. I already kind of looked up a little bit of that and it's not my that's not up my alley, but Frankenhooker sounds if it's less gory and more funny, then it sounds kind of in the vein of the old 50s, 60s Vincent Price movies. I, I definitely think that's up my There's eye. one scene. There's one scene. If you do not laugh at that one scene, I I don't know what to tell you because I it, it was so absurd and so perfect. I That's all I can say about it. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. you and I will reconvene off air uh, when I watch it. But since we're yes. speaking, speaking of cinemas, that was the fir- that was your first time back in the cinema in a while, right? Correct. Since before COVID. Correct. Uh, right before COVID happened, it's been three years almost to the day. I uh, technically, I I actually did watch something in theaters last week, but um, more or less, this Frankenhooker, my bloody Valentine double feature, was the first time back in theaters. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You didn't you weren't like me and watched you didn't watch uh Top Gun five times in the theater last year, but oh well. I wanted to. <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to at least watch it once. Um believe it or not, actually, one of my my local AMC is still playing Top Gun once a week or, I or was, twice a week. I was out for work in Oceanside, California, and the Top Gun house from the original movie is was moved. They literally moved the building in front of the beach right near my hotel and they had a regal. It was either a regal or something else on the same street, two blocks up. I could have walked and watched top gun while it was, you know, it was October last year. Yep. Yeah. I didn't do it. Cause I, I was doing a bunch of other fun stuff, but I got a few pictures. It was cool, but that's, yeah. uh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. But speaking of, of, uh, cinemas, I will be seeing the next thing I see in the cinema will probably be Marlowe, which is the, uh, Neil Jordan, take on the Raymond Chandler character. I'm, I'm trying to figure finish up the 
the big sleep. Oh, okay. The big sleep. I'm I'm reading right now. I got a f- 50 pages left. So once I finish that, I'll I'll consider right. myself ready. Long Goodbye is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I still need to see that. Oh my gosh, Chris! Come on, man. If I get you for se- right. Secret Mitch next time, you're watching that. I'll watch it and then I'll have a f- flaming hot take on um, a half star. No, you won't. You'll love it. No, I won't. No, I won't. But yeah, yes, I since we're speaking of cinemas, last year was the first time I went back to a drive-in theater in Seattle. Oh, nice. And I I forget. What's that movie? The baseball movie with the, the ladies and Tom Hanks. That's one of the ones I saw. The ladies and Tom Hanks. A League of Their Own, right? A League of Their Own? Is that it? I think it's a league. Yeah, uh, yes. It's like a comedy um, about the the women's baseball league in the forties or fifties or thirties, whenever it was. I think the forties during World War Two. I haven't seen it, but uh, yeah. yeah, yes, yeah. So I watched yes. that and the Goonies. Stayed there until midnight. It was that's awesome. I, I the drive-in. Everyone should have to go to that like once a year. It's it's a great experience. That's cool. Um, but I will. I was gonna say. Speaking of drive-ins, um, last segue of the, of the episode, I swear. I I really recommend that you take the time out of your busy cinema schedule, Chris, because I know you watch a lot of movies. <laughs> um, yes, sir. And watch At the Drive-In, which is a documentary from a few years ago. And it's specifically about the Mahoning Drive-In Theater, which is in Pennsylvania. That is like, I think it's the biggest screen... Is it either in the country or on the East Coast or I forget, but it is a very big screen. It's been there since like the 30s or 40s. And and what do they they play vintage? They play they like play like vintage. Yeah, horror stuff. Um, they like if you go on their website, they have you could probably look at their schedule from last year, but they they'll do Bruce Lee movies, horror. They they'll do you know obviously it's a lot of double or triple billings but the cool thing about that place which i've not gone to i want to it's like a two and a half two hour drive from my house um oh cool the 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 reason i kind of want to do that is because one it's probably not going to be there on there forever but they let you go there watch the movie and then they allow people that drive from far away to spend the night there like you can camp out so oh that's awesome yeah i'm all, I'm all about camping yeah, so maybe maybe we'll need to do that with the three of us soon. No, I mean when I say soon, that, at some point in the ne- in the next year, <laughs> it's a, that'd it's, be cool. I know it's a big, uh, yeah, summertime, but it's a big commitment. But from you, Connecticut to like middle of PA would be like what four or five out four hours maybe. I don't know. That's just, about right. Four four or five. Yeah. But if there, it was like the okay. perfect. We could uh, watch and then review review the movies that we saw or something. That'd be a cool app. That would be cool. But uh, yeah. yeah, to leave you with that, that's a that's a pretty big segue. But I, I recommend that. At the Drive-In, very good documentary. Uh, just about, it's kind of cool. Like you got to go to the, the Strand Theater and just going to those places that have been around and people used to watch movies there, you know, in the 40s and 50s, 60s, when that was kind of yes. like the only place you could go beside, you, TV didn't exist. So that was the only place you could go to watch a movie. I think that's really cool. It's really neat to find these kind of places. And I gave you a recommendation. You gave me a recommendation. So we're square for now. Frank and Hooker. You I watch won- that Frank and Hooker and I'll watch that documentary. I wonder what it's about. Frankenstein and a hooker, right? <laughs> kind of. Uh-huh. You're exactly right. Yeah. No, I, I, I dig it. I dig it. It's, uh, it sounds already more appealing than Basket Case. Uh, brain damage had potential, but 
it didn't do it for me as much as it did for you, but Hey, I'm glad you liked it and glad you had that experience at the yeah. theater. Um, yes, those, those experiences at the theater are like, once you have that, it's like, you'll remember that forever just because it's, it's so different than watching stuff at home. Yes. It goes that what I experienced last night with the double feature goes up there with my favorite theater experiences, uh, which were, which are singing in the rain and the birds. When did you, all right. Last, last topic. When did you see those two movies and where I saw both of those 10 or 11 years ago at my local AMC, they were playing, they would have a, um, they would do once or twice a month. They would do like a special vintage showing of some movie and I got, I was working at the movie theater at the time. So bonus that it was free and I was in the know as far as what my theater was playing. So I hopped right on it. It was the first time I had ever seen singing in the rain and the theater for both movies, singing in the rain and the birds, it was packed. And every, after every single number for singing in the rain, everybody clapped. It was like watching a live performance. That's freaking awesome. Not my favorite Hitchcock, but Hitchcock is on a whole other level than a lot of a lot of directors for me. So like the birds is still a four out of five stars, really high rating, um, and not near my favorite film that not near any of my favorites that he's done. But seeing it in a live theater, the final twenty twenty five minutes of that movie, full house, and there was not a single sound you could hear a pin drop in the theater. And if you know the movie, it's the part of the movie where they're trying to leave. Uh, Rod Taylor and Tippi Hendren are trying to leave in the car from the house and they're just surrounded by birds. And uh, it's, it's a wonderfully tense moment. And this, the screen cuts to, fades to black. Nobody moved from their seat for what felt like five, 10 minutes and everyone just sat there. So that, that was another incredible moment. And, Last night, same thing, getting to hear everybody laugh at Frankenhooker and then feeling everybody jump out of their seats at the right moments for My Bloody Valentine. It was unreal experiences. It's why, it's why you and I love cinema and it's why, it's why we need to keep theaters alive and why we go to the movie theater. To be exactly. there with people, to be there with people that love movies like we do. Not that it's going to save anything, but Top Gun made me feel that again. The first time I saw that, I saw it. I totally believe that. I saw it totally the, day, believe it. the day before it opened on a Thursday release uh, or Thursday early showing, I guess. It was like 10, it was either 9 30 or 10 o'clock at night. And I was like, the first person I knew, in, you know, besides movie people uh, that, that, you know, I know I'm, I know in Letterboxd, I was the first person yes. that saw it. And I just was like, I freaking. I definitely made that movie like at least $2,000, the amount of ads I was, I was just telling everybody like, go see this thing. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's cool. That was one of the, one of the best experiences. I also got to see princess bride on its 30th oh. anniversary. And that was awesome. And there was a packed that's house. Cool. There was not one but, empty seat. That's cool. Yeah. But very nice. Hey, on that final note, on that final note, we'll be returning next week with something. I don't know because our our recording schedule is a little uh, different than our release schedule right now. <laughs> a little askew, but that's okay. All right. Well, dear listeners, we uh, Ben and I thank you for listening again.
Yes, sir. And uh, those are those are our reviews of Basket Case and Brain Damage and a little bit of Frankenhooker there on my part from uh, the Searchers Film Podcast. Remember to send your mailbags to thesearcherspodcast at gmail.com. Any sort of commentary or questions or concerns, anything like that, any sort of feedback, we want to hear it. Uh, anybody who's listening from Letterboxd, I know we already have sort of direct contact when you guys can comment on our on our reviews of these movies and everything but feel free to shoot us an email anyway please like rate and subscribe to us on the various platforms spotify apple google and podbean thank you very much catch you on the flip side thanks for listening to the searchers podcast if you want to hear more of our thoughts on movies, you can find us on Letterboxd. Ben at Giant13, Chris at Ziglet underscore Mer, and me at Kevin Chan. Find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and on searchersfilmpodcast.podbean.com. Until next time, people.